Welcome to the St. Emelins podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall, and I'm absolutely delighted to reintroduce to you our critical appraisal nuggets. Professor Rick Boddy and Dr. Laura Howard are about to give you a superb little quick podcast on semi-structured interviews to join with the series we've done a few years ago and to continue to extend that. Now, long-term listeners will remember our critical appraisal nuggets. We've done them on randomization, blinding, selection bias, and a whole load of other things, which you can find in the show notes for this episode. But we're hoping to extend this project now, and Rick has very kindly taken this on, and there will be more to come. So as they say, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the St. Emelins podcast. I'm Rick Boddy. And I'm Laura Howard. And we've got the reinvigorated critical appraisal nuggets for you here. If you follow the podcast and you've been doing so for a couple of years at least, you'll know that we put together five or ten critical appraisal nugget podcasts where we take you through the basics of critical appraisal, help you to lift up your game when you're looking at journal articles. And we're back. So Laura and I are going to take you through. So we're going to talk about semi-structured interviews today, some qualitative research. That's exciting. It's totally out of our comfort zone as hard quantitative emergency positions, but a really important technique to get important research data. First thing we'll talk about, what is a semi-structured interview? So when you perform qualitative research, you can perform interviews. They can either be completely structured. So that is, I've got a list of five questions I'm going to ask every participant and you do not deviate from the lines. And every participant gets asked those, those five questions. And on the other side of the fence, you can have completely unstructured interviews, which is you essentially you go in and you're collecting the participant's story and what they have to tell in their narrative. And you really don't point the participant in any sort of direction. You are there to explore and think and wonder with them rather than ask very pointed questions. And then sat in the middle, there's a semi-structure. So you might go in with a couple of things you know you want to ask every participant. And then you also are allowed to probe and wonder and think, where is the richness of this data? Where else can I take this interview? But without leading the participants, you let them take you on their journey. So it's quite a flexible technique, isn't it? Because it allows the participant to take things off in their own direction, things that you hadn't even anticipated, themes will emerge that you didn't even think were going to be an issue. The really difficult thing for us as doctors is we get quite used to asking quite pointed questions because we need to know in your history, are we going to be going down this chest pain route or are we going to be going down? What about my abdominal history? I've got things I need to hit to get there with my few minutes with that patient. We're quite used to pointing interviews in directions. But with these, you sort of have to sit back and think, how do I ask this question to not be leading? But to understand more about what you're telling me and how do I get the full richness of this story from you and I think they can be quite challenging at times. 100% there's a real skill to it isn't there and I hadn't necessarily appreciated that when I first ran semi-structured interviews it's quite difficult to get used to it so I guess we've got to answer the question why should we use semi-structured interviews as a research technique what sort of research questions can we answer and what are the benefits? We use any qualitative studies when we want to think about getting more open-ended data and getting a rich story or narrative from someone so we gained a greater understanding of a situation or a problem we might face and it does give us a depth of information that we wouldn't get from just a hard yes no or could you tell me about this in a very rigid format so it's totally different from something like a survey where we might have some closed questions that we definitely want answers to and we want to be able to summarize the data 
better. A semi-structured interview allows you to really explore what's going on. It's to take you in directions that you never anticipated you'd go in to understand the situation or to get to the bottom of that research question. So let's talk about designing a semi-structured interview. Now we've got to we've got to have some structure in a semi-structured interview. So how do we how do we get the framework for it? You think about is having a sense of a topic guide. I guess when you're designing it, what you want is with your research team, you think about what do we want to get out of this? So what is the question we are asking our interviewees? Because you are using a semi-structured interview, you can design questions that will allow you to cover the, the main points of interest for yourself. That sort of gives the person who is interviewing, whether that be one person or several people, depending on your setup for your research, that means that everyone will follow that topic, guys, and get those points within the interview. Yeah, there's a real skill to this, because the temptation is to write a list of 10, 20 questions that you're interested in. And you really don't want to do that, because if you've got, let's say, you know, 50 minutes an hour for your interview, and it's going to go off in new directions that you're going to probe, then you probably want, I'd say, maximum four or five points in the topic guide. And you're going to ask those questions, maybe even less than that, maybe even just a, a few. You, based on the responses that you get, you're going to probe and you go and ask follow-up questions that aren't in your topic guide, but that help you to get greater depth in the responses from the participant. And I think it's really important when you're forming this, again, that you've practiced in a setting that isn't your research. So for example, when I was doing my research, I interviewed my friends about their dog walking to gain the skills of not being leading when you're being the interviewer. And and to learning to take that narrative and that richness from the data. If you can practice in other settings, it could be really helpful when you're putting together your topic guide. It sort of think, makes you get a sense of how long an interview takes and how long it does take to actually cover the, maybe just the three points you want to cover while allowing the other person to tell you what they need to tell you as well. I, I love the idea about <laughs> interviewing friends about the dogs. With the topic guide, I think it's really important to pilot it, get loads of people to look at it because it's really hard not to be leading. And it's also really hard to make sure you get out of the interviews what you want to get out of them, the sort of information that you're after to answer the research questions that you had. So there's a real skill to it. And it takes a lot of iterations, I think, to get that right. The next thing we've got to think about is how do you run a semi-structured interview? So we could run them face-to-face. We could run them by a video call. We could do a telephone call. There are all sorts of different means that we could use. How do we decide and what are the relative merits of each approach? A lot of that depends on what you're researching and the intimacy of the topic. We all know it's a lot easier to become comfortable and open with someone in an environment that's that's face-to-face. I think that has a huge advantage in allowing conversation to flow. The disadvantage of that, of course, is if you're going to do interviews face-to-face, you actually have to be face-to-face. So it's a lot harder for me in Manchester to then think, oh, perhaps I could go down to London or go to Plymouth or the other end of the country or in in fact internationally to to do to carry out my research it means that you'll either have to have more than one person interviewing or you've got to have a lot of money to be able to afford the travel for the the participants for you to go go and see them so obviously there's some practicality to doing face-to-face in the modern era you could argue that we're all much more used to online that it doesn't have as many barriers as it used to most of us have the technology most of us are used to using it I think though it is much less personal even now even though we've used it a lot I still believe it's it's a much less personal way of having an interaction yeah I think you've just got to think this through really carefully haven't you there's no one right answer to this question about how do you run it 
there can be wrong answers. <laughs> so there can be techniques that are clearly suboptimal, but there can be advantages and disadvantages and you've got to weigh them up against each other. So like you say, the practicalities of distance, et cetera, but also there's things like digital exclusion. So it might be really important to do research in populations where there's a high, high amount of uh, socioeconomic deprivation. And they might not have access to video conferencing facilities, for example, in which case we really want to make sure that we offer them the opportunity to have a face-to-face interview. There's nothing like being face-to-face for building up a rapport with someone, which is often really important for eliciting the information that you need from the interviews. And then I guess the question of who is really important as well. Who do you choose to be the interviewer? What? How do you think we'd get the best person to do that. So there's loads of considerations around that. I think in a future podcast, we should talk in more detail about positionality. So the biases that you might have as an interviewer, for example, and particularly things around the interaction. So if I, as a consultant, was going to be interviewing a medical student about a topic, I've got to be aware that actually the medical student might not want to be as open to me because they think there's a power dynamic there even though I don't you know think there shouldn't be that's how people are going to perceive it they might not be as open in their responses I might not be the best person to run that interview and also I I come with a set of assumptions yes biases we all have them about where you know the way things might be I might introduce that into the interview in a certain way so you've got to think that through could that affect the quality of the information that we get I think you've got to consider that when you're when you're planning your interviews. And I remember when we were setting up our well-being research and we had a non-medic, uh, Chris, he was a part of our research team. We had a long conversation about actually, would it be better if a non-medic interviewed all these medics about how work affects them? Because actually, they might be more inquiring. They might make less assumptions. Or would it be harder for them to understand? And actually, would that, would that mean there's a barrier to people opening up? And it is interesting. And I think you get biases either way, don't you? as to to who you pick. Exactly. I think this is the thing with qualitative research. There's often no no single right answer. You've just got to have thought it through and thought through the relative merits. There might be an advantage of having a medic running this interview because they have the inside knowledge uh, and an understanding of the situation that allows them to probe, whereas a a non-medic might be more independent and it might be that the, the participant feels more free to open up to them, less embarrassed about certain things, for example. So there's pros and cons of each, and it depends what you want to get out of your research. So that brings us on to the last thing we were going to cover, which is, let's say we've run the interviews now. We've, of course, recorded it because you have to record it. And now you need to get the data into your Word document so that you can analyze the data. And this is the painful part because you've got real lived experience of going through this pain. Well, I'm heartbroken, Rick, because you've just told me that I didn't have to do what I did. So I spent hours of my life, probably weeks, transcribing interviews myself by hand, which involves listening to interviews over and over and over again. And for me, I listened to them at half speed so I could keep up with the typing to transcribe it all myself. And you've just told me there's technology for free that does it now. And it's true. And I mean, I've been through that pain as well, Laura. So uh, <laughs> you're not alone on that one. And it can be really difficult. There is technology available. So if you do a Microsoft Teams call that's got transcription that you can enable, and that's not bad, actually, at transcribing your Teams call. There are also other services. I mean, Otter AI is one that I'm aware of. I'm not advocating that particular one. I think there are others as well that use AI functionality to sort of transcribe an audio recording and they can be really helpful. So I've used those. It sounds like a massive shortcut and you can get away with it without without all of these headaches of typing things out. However, you've still got to be really careful and you don't save as much time as you think you would because you've got to check that those transcripts are accurate. And that means you've got to go through 
the recordings yourself word for word and make sure that everything has been transcribed accurately. So it does still take quite a bit of time to do that transcription. If you've got a budget, pay for someone professional to go and do it for you. That's the, that's ideal. That, that, that's, that's great for efficiency. The disadvantage of doing that, however, is that you don't get the opportunity to familiarise yourself with the data the same. It's really important when you're analysing your data that you know it intimately, and you know, inside out, and you have become really familiar with the topics that have arisen and the things that people have said to you because in order to do any sort of analysis on quantitative data you have to know it really well and actually by listening to it 10 times while you're typing it out it kind of does that for you it gives you that richness and you get to know what you're dealing with and where things might fit so that that is definitely an advantage of self-transcribing and I suspect there's a balance somewhere in the middle between getting someone else to do it and never looking at it again and actually spending a lot of time going through it in it and learning about its richness. Absolutely. And I think the bottom line there is it might seem like there are shortcuts available, but actually there's real value to be had from getting to know the data and listening to it very carefully yourself and making sure that it's very accurate what you what you have typed up. So that's a quick tour through semi-structured interviews. I hope that's been useful. We hope to be back with another topic soon. Take care.